I have a question that how committed are you solving this problem? How committed are you to creating that experience in your kitchen? How committed are you to your family? How committed are you to fulfilling on that goal in your business? And if people are ready to commit, then I want to make a statement of certainty if it's true. If you're really committed, I'm really confident I can help you. Are you ready to hear how I work with my clients? Yes? Cool. And then I'm going to make my offer. And then I'm going to respond to objections and things like that. But I don't have canned objection handlers. And this isn't a script outside of the pre-frame, which is really scripted. This is a conversation. We want to follow the thread. We want to be willing to be open-minded and just be insatiably curious and ask why and understand people well. If you just want to take one or two things, set a structure for the call and ask for their consent to sell, being really transparent up front. And then be super curious and have a great conversation where you really listen to them in a way that's uncommon and allows them to feel received and understood. And then if you're offering something that you think can help, just offer it from your heart at the end. It's an invitation. Everyone loves being invited, whether they say yes or no. What's going on, Better Than Rich Show listener? Today, you're in for a treat with Justin Janowski. Justin is the founder of faith to influence and he really helps Christian coaches take their business to the next level. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not a Christian or I'm not a coach. Uh, trust me, this is an amazing episode. Uh, honestly, we get into like a masterclass on sales. And Justin just is so polished. I just love like how clearly he thinks through sales, how he thinks through framing, how he thinks through positioning, how he thinks through discovery, how he thinks through asking consequence-based questions to drive emotion, how he closes, how he handles objections. We get into some really, really great stuff. So if you ever wanted to be a better coach, this is the episode for you. Of course, check out what he's up to because you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a coach to enjoy it. And then, of course, if you are a Christian or a coach or both, you're really going to enjoy it. So, I mean, this is just an amazing episode. We do get into his faith. We do get into family. He's a big Packers fan. We even get into Aaron Rodgers, and he makes a sports prediction at the end I think you're going to like. So, stick around to the end. I think you're going to love it. And let's get on with the show with Justin Janowski. Welcome to the Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. All right. Welcome back to everybody to the Better Than Rich show. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Abramowitz, and our special guest here today, Justin Janowski. Justin, welcome to the show, man. How you been? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I'm better than rich. I'm doing well. (laughs) Good, good. That is very, very good to hear. I'm excited later to hear what it means to you to be better than rich. But I want to really dig in and kick things off. You and I have known each other for a long time and go way back. We've worked together at a company for a period of time. And I was able to go to your wedding. And obviously, I've got to be Kara. I've been over and we played Settlers of Catan together. We've done a lot of cool stuff together. And it's also been really cool to watch this journey that you've been on with Faith to Influence and what you're creating. I think it's really unique and special. So I'm curious as like an origin story. Well, how did Faith to Influence get started? And why did you decide to create this platform? Yeah. So you mentioned we worked together in another coaching organization. And I learned a lot about coaching and personal development and professional development. And I fell in love with that kind of work. For me, I felt like something was missing from it. And I wanted to bring God into the work that I was doing and the Holy Spirit and the way I receive it, like just wanted to really bring that peace to the personal development world. And so I initially was working with men in entrepreneurship, and now I'm working with Christian coaches because I found that based on the experience that we had previously had, I knew how to design a business really well, coaching business. I knew how to sell it. I knew how to price it. And those were things that were hard for other coaches. And our first year, we did around $250,000 in revenue. And in our first couple of years, continued to grow from there. And I found that other coaches were like, well, how are you doing this? And so ultimately, we pivoted to working with coaches primarily to teach them how to sell more and optimize their business model and pricing. And that's been really fun. It's been a fun journey. I have a follow-up. I'm curious. You know, I, was, I told you right before we started, it's like, let's talk about Judaism. And I was just kidding. But at the same time, it is very niche. I think that's fantastic. And I think one of the appealing factors is it's like, hey, this is who I am and this is who I help. 
And sometimes I think in the marketplace, people try to not do that. They conform to try to catch everyone. It's like, I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to seclude anyone. But you were like, no, no, no. This is who I'm helping. This is who I am. Mm. And if you want to align with it, great. And if you don't, it's okay. I'd be interested in the self-talk, the conversation, the counsel Mm -hmm. for you to get the courage and confidence say, this is where I'm going. And if it secludes some people that I really like that don't fit under this, that's okay. And it's going to help this audience. I'd love for you to just walk through how did you niche down to that and get to that clarity? That's a great question, Mike. And the truth is that as we narrow our niche, we have an opportunity to become more known in the marketplace for something. And I learned a long time ago, I was working with Mutual of Omaha and financial services, actually, that like to have a very specific and niche target market is the only way to become known and separate yourself in the marketplace. And so while I chose this niche because it's most fun for me to work with Christian coaches, I also recognize that from a business standpoint, I'm actually going to receive more clients and more opportunity because I've got a more narrow niche versus if I was just a coach, why would anybody hire me as their general coach versus all of the other amazing coaches out there? I don't have to be the best coach. I have to be the best coach in my niche. And there's not a whole lot of people in the niche of coaching specifically Christian coaches. And so it's really helpful for me to be narrow. And as I'm narrow, then when people hear my message and what I'm doing, they're like, oh my gosh, it's like this was made for me. That's exactly who I am when I'm describing who my ideal client is. And oftentimes my clients are going to hire me because they know that we have some shared values because they know this program was designed specifically for them. And while I am going to be specific in my niche, of who I ideally work with, I also become known for a very specific what that I do, which is sales. So everything that you're going to see from me on my website and my marketing, on our groups, in my podcast, it's all going to come back to sales over and over and over again. And so, yes, I'm known for working with Christian coaches, but I'm known so well for sales that occasionally people approach me outside of my niche and they want to receive help too. And I can then choose. They might not make sense in my mastermind or in my group programs that are very targeted, but I get hired by a lot of seven and eight figure coaches that are non-Christians who just want me to actually come and perform sales for them at their events or on a partnership retainer basis. And I'm happy to accept those opportunities or accept a client one-on-one who's not Christian or who isn't a coach. You know, I had somebody who reached out to me yesterday and bought a 10K coaching package who is in financial services, but he associates me with sales. He said, man, I really need help with this. And I feel like you're the guy. And so by having a very narrow niche, I think I make it easier for my audience to accept me, to trust me, to receive me, to find me. And then additionally, I can still choose opportunities outside of my niche by being known for what I do and being very good at that as well. So good, man. Really appreciate that answer. And again, for anyone listening, if you're wondering why you're not getting the leads you want to get, consider how might you niche down, right? How might you really embrace what Justin's talking about? You need to find your niche, of course, but what is it for you? Here at the Better Than Rich Show, we have a a policy of basically no topics off limits. I want to talk about Christianity. I want to talk about Grace and Gavin and the kiddos and parenting and all the things that you're up to family-wise. But let's start with your business expertise. Talk to us about sales, man. Like, Give us the goods. Give our listeners the goods. What do you know about sales that we don't or they don't? And fill us in on that. Yeah. So there's really two big things I think about when I'm considering sales. And one is what I would call the art of influence, which deals a lot in your mindset. What's going on in here? What's going on in here? And then there's the structure of sales. And so to speak to the art of influence, I think there's both an internal art that allows us to be really influential, to be a great salesperson, a great coach, a great leader. And then there's the external art. So some of what we're doing, how we're saying what we're saying to our audience to attract them and make it easy for the right people to say yes. And I believe that's what sales is. When it's done right, sales is making it as easy as possible for the right people to say yes. Nothing more or less than that. That feels good for both sides. And if we're going to make it as easy as possible for the right people to say yes, we have to deal with that internal art of influence and our own mindset around sales first. A lot of people struggle with mindset around sales or money. And there's really three things to consider in our mindset when we approach a sales call. One is our identity. Who do you believe yourself to be? If you believe yourself to be a great salesperson, you think that's a good thing. It's going to be easy to get on a sales call. But if you believe that you're bad at sales or you believe that being a good salesperson would be a bad thing because you've got some stories about what that means, that's going to be really difficult. If you believe yourself to be of great value and really worth the investment for a client to work with you, it's going to be really easy for you to share your offer. If you 
struggle with your self-worth. It's going to be a lot harder for you to get on a sales call and offer a service that you directly provide. And so if anybody who's listening says, okay, I've got a really strong identity. I know who I am. I believe in my service. I believe in what I have to offer. That's a really good first step. If you're listening and you say, well, my identity is really in progress right now. I beat myself up a lot. I have negative self-talk. I'm not sure that I'm good enough or that I can do it. Then even the recognition and awareness of that is a really healthy thing to say, okay, I want to work on this journey of improving my identity and how I feel about myself, because that's going to directly correlate to how other people receive us and feel about us as well. A simple step that people could consider is just saying, what are some I am statements I could write? Like, I am a great coach. I am a great leader. I am worth it. And we might like write 10 or 20 I am statements and read those on repeat so we can change the soundtracks going on in our head. If not the I am statements, maybe we got to pay attention to our environment and the people we're surrounding ourselves with. So hiring a great coach like Andrew and Mike and like having their voice start to take over a little bit in your head and change the soundtrack can be helpful. Surrounding yourself with good friends or good community, people who are going to speak life into you can really affect your identity. The second piece of the three is your emotional state. How are you feeling when you get on a sales call? If you're feeling scared to sell and you get on a sales call with that emotion, emotions are really contagious. The other person's probably going to feel a little bit of fear or anxiety that they don't understand either. A little bit of a tickle in their stomach, it's not going to feel quite right. And that doesn't create a great buying environment. If you come onto the call though and you're feeling confident and loving and peaceful and good, they're going to feel some of those same emotions too. I think that true leaders have an awareness of their emotional wake. And so the question is, how do you feel when you're at your very best? And if you know how you feel when you're at your very best, the next question is, what can you do to get yourself to feel that good? That's what I would call your pre-call ritual, something you can do in one or two minutes. Maybe it's praying, maybe it's meditating, maybe it's taking a deep breath, maybe it's jumping up and down, doing some jumping jacks, maybe it's a power pose or something else. Maybe it's an affirmation, but whatever you have to do to get yourself a pump-up song, feeling really good before you get on that call. If you're feeling really good, you're going to make more sales than if you're not feeling really good. Not a big surprise, but very important. And then the final part of the internal art of influence, and I'll come up for air and let you guys respond in a minute here, is what I would call your stories. And some of this I've already talked about in identity, but we have stories beyond just ourselves. A lot of people have stories about what sales is, and they have stories about what it means to make money. And a lot of people have really messed up stories about sales and about money or even about their prospects or, well, the people I know don't buy this stuff or do this thing. And we've got these soundtracks, like John Acuff calls it, that are just running on repeat. Something like 90% of what we think today are what we thought yesterday. And so we think the same things over and over and over. And if we've got old stories like sales is pushy or sales is manipulation, I had a friend who I went to church with, who I knew for years and in front of me and others, she knew I was in sales. She said, all sales is manipulation. All salespeople are manipulative. That's what she believed. If all of a sudden God called her into business and she was going to be a coach or an entrepreneur and had to sell something, it'd be very hard with that story that all salespeople are manipulative and all sales is manipulation for her to feel good about selling. I had a client, Laura Neiser, a great mindset coach, by the way, Laura, she said that her story was that sales is pushy. I said, well, Laura, are you pushy? And she said, no, 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 I'm not. That's why I struggle with sales. I said, okay, well, if, if I put you on a sales call, would you be pushy? She said, no, no, I can't. I don't know. I can't do it. I said, okay. So then sales with you wouldn't be pushy, would it? And the answer is no. I said, if sales with you isn't pushy, Laura, what is sales with you? And she says, sales with me is service. So that was the new story. So if you've got old stories, gaining an awareness of what the stories are that you're telling yourself about sales, writing them down, making them small on a piece of paper, crossing them off if they're not true, maybe writing in big capital letters, not true, and writing the true empowering story underneath can change everything. And so for her, maybe sales is pushy was the old story, but that's a generalized thing about other people. But the new story was sales with me is service. And so if you've struggled with that in the past, you might write a new story about what is sales with you? How are you committed to showing up as a loving salesperson? I believe sales when done right is love. It's coaching. It's leadership. As far as money is concerned, I know people are like, oh, money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. It's the love of money. It's making too much of an idol of it. It's making it everything, which is why I love the better than rich. Like it's not the thing. There's so much better than rich, but making money is not bad. My story about money is that the more I earn, the more I can give. 
And so I've got a really empowered story that makes it easy for me to want to earn more. But if we think people who may make money are bad or mean, or like everybody I know who makes a lot of money is a jerk, like you're not going to want to make a lot of money. You're going to find ways not to make money. And so like these mindset pieces about sales and getting right around our stories, our identity and our emotional state when we're selling, they're the most important things we could do. And obviously I could go on and on about this and get into sales structure and all that stuff. But like I said, I will come up for air, I'll Mm. pause. But I think those are the first steps is like getting our mindset right. From there, we can enter into a great structure around sales that makes it easy for the right people to say yes. Well, listener, you definitely want to re-listen to that segment because that was really, really strong on just the identity and the emotional side of sales. Because frankly, you're right, Justin, if you show up to an interaction with the presuppositions that I'm not good enough or this is hard or you're going to say no, like it doesn't matter what interaction it is, you're probably going to get sacked on whatever that interaction is. So winning that inner game before the exchange even happens is such a great place. And I'm so glad that you started there. And I think about a couple of individuals that I've had conversations with where we talk about the business systems and they're like getting the tactical all set up on the back end. And then it's like, cool. Now, what about the client facing things and the delivery or the sales or the marketing? And they're like, oh no, I got to hire someone else to do that. That is just not my forte. It's like, well, you really need to understand some of this. So this clip, what you just said, I'm sending to one person that I have in mind for sure, because that was so rich. And I really appreciate you going in that direction. As a follow-up, what would you say to someone that is now, okay, I embodied all of this emotional intelligence, this unattachment, this identity. I've reworked some of this stuff and I really want to get practical. Like, okay, I'm aligned. I'm ready. I'm confident. I'm here to serve. I have my story in place. What might I do next? Obviously we grew up in the Cutco days of the seven (laughs) steps to a sale. Has that evolved for you? Or I could list off what those seven steps are, but I'd rather hear what is the potential tactical that you might go through? Is it the same, the rapport, the credibility, the need, the solution, the specific use, the price comparison, and then the offer, or is something has evolved or modified since then? Yeah, it is quite a bit different for me now. It's fun to remember what it was at Cutco. I loved selling Cutco. That was such an amazing experience. So Andrew, we've actually worked at two companies together. That one's not maybe at the forefront anymore in the same way. But the first thing I'll say is I want to be clear that people don't need to get all the mindset stuff right to begin selling. And in fact, if they wait to have their identity, their emotional state, and their stories all perfect to start selling. They're never going to sell. And in fact, like getting on sales calls and fumbling and falling forward and trying to love people well and treat people well and do their best will help build their confidence and help build their self-worth over time. I think people are afraid of rejection and things like that, but there's so much good that can come from just being bold and courageous enough to get on sales calls. So that will be part of the process. And developing and working on our identity and our stories and those sorts of things, that's a lifelong journey. It's worth taking. Though, getting started with some of that is really smart. And then we want to have a good process. And I think that feeling more confident about getting on a sales call can come from having a great process that we know is a service-based process that really values the other person. I believe that if a sales call is done right, it's going to be a huge win for both sides, whether the other person buys or not. It's going to feel really good. You know, I oftentimes get off a sales call and people are crying. They're thanking me, even if they didn't buy, because the experience of sales can be a really wonderful interaction. I believe that sales, when done right, is coaching. It's leadership. It's the same thing. So if you're a coach, the way that you run a coaching call shouldn't be that dissimilar to how you might run a sales call, where you're asking a lot of questions, you're learning about the needs of the other person, and ultimately you're helping them identify the solutions that are going to help them get what they want or become more of who they were created to become. There's just an invitation at the end of a sales call that's a little bit different than at the end of a coaching call. So when we're executing on a sales process, I'll go through our 10 steps pretty quick. I'm not going to make it about me. I'm not going to like tout my resume at the beginning of the call. I'm not going to price compare to anybody else or really compare to any other coaching program. It's not about me at all. It's really about the other person. My first step in a sales process is to get in that peak emotional state before it begins. Then I'm going to get into rapport as a second step. I'm going to do that pretty quickly. When I was at Cutco, I remember we would try to build rapport for like as long as possible. Talk about everything except for Cutco and what we were there for as long as possible. Longer I remember coming the better. back to my office. Yeah. <laughs> right. 18, 19, 20-year-old, I'd come back and be like, we were in rapport for 45 minutes before I even opened the blue book and started selling. And I was so proud of that kind of stuff. But what I recognize now as a professional is if I'm dealing with a real professional who values their time, 
that's a waste of time. And it's actually a form of sales avoidance. If I'm going to spend as long as possible talking about all the stuff we're not there to actually talk about, it's sales avoidance and it's undervaluing my time, my service, what I have to bring to the table and the needs and the vision of this other person. And so I'm going to be getting into rapport in 30 to 60 seconds. If I'm getting on a call with someone like, hey, how are you? Awesome. How's your day been so far? And then they're going to share with me and probably ask how my day was. And I'm like, it's great. I'm really excited to talk to you. And then I'm going to move on to the next step. And that's actually it. But what I can tell in a few seconds in rapport is how does this person communicate? And what I really value is recognizing their volume, their pace of communication, their tonality, and even more than those things that I might try to match a little bit to make sure that we feel we can communicate in a way where they trust me, they have a likeness for me. Even more than that, I'm going to pay attention to their emotional energy on the call. How are they doing? Are they really doing well or not so well? And I'm going to meet them where they're at. One of mine, Andrew's mentors at our former company, Jake Merriman, used to use the term pace and lead. So I want to meet them where they're at and I want to pace and lead them emotionally and energetically over the course of the call. So if they come into the call and I'm like, how are you doing? They're like, oh, I'm busy. It's been like back to back to back calls all day. I'm like, I get it. I've had days like that. Is this still a good time for us to have our call? I'm going to treat them like a real human, give them a chance to back out if it's not the right time emotionally. If they're like, oh no, this is great. Like this is the only time I can do it. Cool. Do you want like five minutes? Just to take a breath, drink some water, use the bathroom. I can wait if you want to just start in a few minutes. I'm going to give them that. I'm going to meet them there. And that's going to build a lot of trust and rapport. If they come to the call, though, and they're like really excited, like, oh, my gosh, I've had an amazing day. I'm like, oh, I love that. I'm excited for you. Tell me more about it. But then I'm going to get into the meaning of the call, which is the third step. It's lining up the pre-frame. The pre-frame to me is the most important step of the conversation in sales. It sets the structure for the call tells people what to expect, what's coming next. It tells them the outcome of the call and that we're going to make a decision on this call. And it asks for consent to sell. Consent is really important in sales. People don't want to feel like anyone's doing something to them. But if they've agreed, and this is a mutual respect-based conversation, sales can feel really, really good. And so if nothing else was done right, like the pre-frame to me is the most important part of the conversation where we establish leadership and we also have a tremendous amount of transparency. If you want sales to feel better for you and the other person, be transparent. In fact, don't try to be somebody's friend for 45 minutes like you're there for that when you're actually there to make a sale. Be really direct and transparent about what you're doing in an honest way, and people are going to receive you so much better. So my pre-frame in a sales conversation for my business sounds something like this. Like, hey, John, thanks for taking the time to connect with me today. I want to make the best use of your time and mine. So I just like to lay out a simple structure for this call. Would that be okay? Yes? Cool. The reason that we're talking is Andrew tells me you're a great coach and a great leader, and I work with Christian coaches to help them optimize their business model, their pricing, and their sales strategies so that they can scale their income and their impact. My outcome on a call like this today is to get to know you a bit and to discover whether or not it's a fit for us to work together. And the way I'd like to get to that outcome is by asking you a series of questions about where you're at in your business right now, what your vision for the future is, and what some of the challenges are that are holding you back. From there, I'll give you some perspective and coaching right away based on what I hear. And if it seems like a fit, I'll explain really specifically how I work with my clients so that you and I can decide either to work together or not work together. And either way is fine. Does that sound good? The answer is yes, it sounds good, it's professional, there's consent, and then I'll go really fast through this. I'm gonna ask in discovery, I'm gonna learn about them. Where are they at right now? If I'm a business coach, I wanna know about their business. If I'm a marriage coach, I wanna know about their relationship. If I'm selling Cutco, I'd be asking like, so tell me about your experience in the kitchen right now. How often do you and your family eat together around the table? What kinds of things do you like to cook? What things frustrate you in the kitchen? I wanna discover, I wanna know the current state of the situation, it's all about them. And then after discovery, I want to move into vision. That's step six. I want you to continue jamming on this for sure. I just want to make sure the listener, I'm sure if they haven't already, they've reached for a pen and they've rewinded and like, oh shit, he's actually giving me the blueprint right now. I better go like write these down. I just want to thank you and acknowledge you, Justin, for really listing these out between the rapport and then the pre-frame. And I love the little NLP there. We could riff on that if we want, work together or not work <laughs> together. You could riff on that if you'd like. And I'm sure you have some expertise mm-hmm. there to share. So this is fantastic. I just want to make sure I acknowledge you and listener, if you haven't, click the little back button, rewind a little bit, and then grab the pen and list these off because this is exactly what is going to help you craft those sales presentations. So sorry to interrupt there. I just want to make sure I draw them in if they haven't gone and write some of this That's stuff down. That's excellent. 
Thank you. That's excellent. Thank you, Mike. And I know I'm taking over the call a little bit. What I really believe in is that so many people on podcasts, when they get a chance to speak, they just give a lot of fluff and hype. You know, what I would do if I was most guests, I feel like on podcasts or at a conference or wherever it might be, is I'd probably just sell you on why sales is important. And by the end of the call, you'd be like, oh my gosh, sales is really important. I need to hire this guy because he teaches sales. I'd rather just give you the good stuff so that you can hopefully take some of this and use it. I know I'm going rapid fire through a lot of ideas. If you're listening to this and sales is important to you, you might grab one or two things, one or two new awarenesses and say, okay, I want to work on that a little bit. I just want to pre-frame my conversation. Or I want to make sure I start the call feeling good. Or I'm going to cut down the rapport and stop avoiding the sales conversation and be a professional who has a real outcome in mind, like a doctor would. You know, a doctor's going to show up. They're not going to waste your time building a ton of rapport. They're going to ask how you're doing. They want to build a relationship, but they're going to get to the point because they know your health is more important than the fish on the wall or whatever it might be. So I appreciate that. Thank you. So from pre-frame, we're typically going to discovery. Then we're into the vision of what do they want in the future? And I'm going to make those questions all asked. So if it's their business, what do you want your business to be like a year from now? If it's their marriage, like what would you like your relationship to feel like? If it's Cutco, what would you like your experience to be like in the kitchen and around the table with your family? Like if you had an ideal vision, and everybody was just going to agree to what you said and everyone's going to have a smile on their face and actually genuinely enjoy it. What would you like the experience to be like in the kitchen and around the table together? How often would you like to eat together? What kinds of things would you like to cook? We want to help them paint this vision of what's important to them. And then the next step is the gap. And the gap is to begin to ask, okay, well, what's holding you back from fulfilling on that vision? What's standing in the way? What's the biggest challenge that's preventing you from having all of that? Once we find out what that gap is, we want to get into what I call potential futures, asking the question of what's going to happen if you don't solve that problem? And then what? And then what? And how would that feel? And why is that so important to you? And who else would that affect? And how would that feel? And then on the flip side of this, okay, that sounds pretty important. What if you did solve that one problem, that one challenge? Like, what if you did master sales? If you just had that one skill set and it felt easy and fun, what would be possible for you and your business? And then what would happen? And what would you do with that additional income? And who else would that affect? And how would that feel? Or what if you overcame that one fear? Or if you and your spouse could break through that communication barrier and receive each other with more love and presence, what would be possible in your relationship then? And then what would happen? And what kinds of relationships will your kids have if they saw you and your spouse communicating in that way with each other and working through the problems in that way? Yeah, and how would that feel? So we want to help people actually visualize and experience this and understand like what's at stake. And then the ninth step is to ask for a commitment. I have a question that how committed are you solving this problem? How committed are you to creating that experience in your kitchen? How committed are you to your family? How committed are you to fulfilling on that goal in your business? And if people are ready to commit, then I want to make a statement of certainty if it's true. If you're really committed, I'm really confident I can help you. Are you ready to hear how I work with my clients? Yes? Cool. And then I'm going to make my offer. And then I'm going to respond to objections and things like that. But I don't have canned objection handlers. And this isn't a script outside of the pre-frame, which is really scripted. This is a conversation. We want to follow the thread. We want to be willing to be open-minded and just be insatiably curious and ask why and understand people well. If you just want to take one or two things, set a structure for the call and ask for their consent to sell, being really transparent up front. And then be super curious and have a great conversation where you really listen to them in a way that's uncommon and allows them to feel received and understood. And then if you're offering something that you think can help, just offer it from your heart at the end. It's an invitation. Everyone loves being invited, whether they say yes or no. It's awesome, Justin. I have one follow-up and then I'm going to kick it to Andrew. So one of the curiosities is like getting associated to a pain or a problem. And if there's not enough pain or a problem, sometimes there's not a reason for them to change. So I noticed that in your framework, you took more of a vision frame and then a gap, which I think is a fantastic approach. I am curious on your vantage point on taking the vision gap lens more so than really mustering up the pain and the consequence frame and avoiding like that pain because sometimes people are more motivated to avoid the pain than the pursuit of the pleasure. So I'd love for just you to share your insights on that and then I'll kick it to Andrew and we could go whatever direction he wants to go. I think the reality is both are true. People make decisions either to pursue pleasure or something that feels good, something that's really compelling and they make decisions to avoid pain. I think pain can oftentimes be like the last resort. It's the biggest motivator. When something hurts badly enough, we'll change it. 
but it depends on the types of people that we're talking to. If you're talking to in your ideal audience, people who are generally more motivated, then they probably are interested in being compelled to a vision that they really care about. If you're dealing with the normal average person, pain is probably a bigger motivator. Both are going to typically come up on my sales calls. And in discovery, I'm going to find out what hurts. And I'm going to also find out what they're feeling really good about. In the gap, when we identify what the problem is, I'm still going to go through that potential futures of what if you don't solve this problem? And we're going to lean into the pain, but then ask, what if you do? And lean into what's really good. Ultimately, I think that while both can serve, I value speaking life into people. I care more about like living on that side of things than like a lot of the marketplace, a lot of the world, a lot of the economists, a lot of the politicians. So much of the world today plays off of fear and pain and tries to motivate people to act based off of fear and pain. And that's just not really fun for me. I'd rather speak life. I think we do need to lean into pain. And when it's there in a conversation, a sales conversation, a coaching conversation, I want to slow down. I want to bring my volume down. I want to bring my tone down. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. It's heavy. How did that make you feel? I want to sit in it. I'm not in a rush to work through the pain. We have to be courageous enough to be there with someone because that can be significantly helpful in creating leverage for them to move forward. I want to live in the light and I want to compel people through goodness and life also. Dude, I mean, this is so good. This is a full-on masterclass on sales. I know you have a hard stop, you know, at a certain point. Otherwise, this might be like one of those three-hour Joe Rogan-style podcasts, Justin, where we just hold you hostage and ask you every possible question we can about sales. Maybe we'll have to do a round two at some point. I'm in for round two. (laughs) Yeah, we'll figure it out. But this is like a full-on masterclass because like you are just watching a master at work. And it's just really cool to watch just somebody who's chosen to really hone his craft at such a level, right? Because I think I'm a pretty good salesperson. And I think Mike's a pretty good salesperson. And we make sales all the time. We have a pretty high closing ratio for Better Than Rich. But it's like you've really mastered every little nuance of it. And you have it such dialed in. You're able to tell the whys behind everything. I've really enjoyed this conversation so far. I'm curious, from a coaching perspective, if you are helping coaches, you're working with them, what are the biggest challenges that you find with them getting started in the space? How do you help them with that? You also help them craft their brand a little bit, or at least their packages. What are a few things you could give to somebody who's thinking about getting into coaching? I literally just got off the phone with somebody who signed up for our mini course, who's going to be starting his personal brand and being a consultant. I'm like, you need a personal brand, man. Like, You got to figure this out. I'm like, what are you going to charge for your three-day event? He's like, oh, I don't know. Well, we got to figure that out. I was like, hey, it should probably be like 20 grand for three days if you're going into a corporate setting and you have your expertise, but also everyone's different. All these packages are different. The amount of time and dedication and the expectation of delivery is different. One of the things I've noticed is there's just so many different ways to consider pricing yourself. And there's so many different types of ways to offer value. Is it a coaching call? Is it a group program? Is it a course? Is it an event, a retreat? Is it a mastermind? How do you think about those things? Because it can be impossible for a new coach to try to navigate those waters. Yeah, gosh, it's hard, right? It's definitely not impossible, but wow, there's so much. And then if you're paying attention to the marketplace, it's like everybody's telling you, you need a book, you need a funnel, you need a podcast, you need an email list, you need to be on TikTok, Clubhouse and Facebook and Instagram. And oh, you better be LinkedIn messaging people. And how's your YouTube presence? Right, (laughs) All at the same time. And like, you know, meanwhile, most coaches are like revising their website for the third time and they've got zero clients. And that's the thing is I think we have to cut through a lot of the noise and confusion and we have to simplify things. If I'm talking to a new coach, I really want to invite them to simplify. Here are the things you must have to launch your coaching business. Number one, what I would call your mission statement, which basically answers the question, I help blank, do blank, so that blank. The who, who do you help? What do you do for them? And why does it matter? I help Christian coaches optimize their business model, pricing, and sales strategies so that they can scale their income and their impact. You guys help people learn how to live life better than rich. Maybe that's not quite right. You're probably like, we help people systematize and delegate so that they can be the owner of their business rather than the operator and live a life that's better than rich. Nice, right? Like nice maybe work, that's your mission Justin. <laughs> All right. Nice, nice. Yeah, Not bad on the spot. We'll take it. We help overwhelmed entrepreneurs simplify and systemize. So that way they can win back their time and freedom. Yeah. 
Close. Boom, good. nailed it. Nailed so it. they've got this beautiful mission statement. So you need to know who you're going to serve and what you're going to do for them and why it matters. Otherwise, you're going to have a really hard time in the marketplace. So you have to answer those questions. Maybe you need a coach. Maybe you need to talk to Andrew or Mike or somebody else. Have some perspective shared around your ideas, but we need that. Once we've got that mission statement, we need a clear offer and pricing. And yes, there's so many different things you could include and so many different things you could sell and so many different price points. And so I can't speak to everybody's need in like developing their price point in this moment. Andrew, Mike, could I share the link to our challenge now? Yeah, Please. fire away, man. Let's let's hear it. We run a free four-day challenge for coaches. It's specifically for Christian coaches, but you're a non-Christian coach. All the business content, and hopefully you're receiving that from this podcast, it works just as good for the secular world as it does the nice. Christian world. Us Jews, we're uh, invited, everyone. We're invited. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're invited. You have to like not throw anything at me when I pray for God to bless you and your business. <laughs> but outside of that, it's just good business content. But we've got this free four-day challenge where we help people with their entire business model design and price it and their mission statement, along with learning some of the sales stuff we're working through today. And if you want to join that challenge, we do them multiple times a year. You go to salesisgood.com. So we talked before, some people think sales is pushy or sales is bad or sales is greed or sales manipulation. I don't believe those things. I believe sales is good. So salesisgood.com, you can sign up for our free challenge. You get a free 10-step PDF on our sales process you're hearing about today, and we can help you with your business model. Step one, to launch your business, get the mission statement. Step two, have a clear business model and price point. So if somebody says, I want to work with you, you're like, okay, here's how I work with my clients. We have to be able to answer that question. And then step three is be ready to take a payment, which means set up your LLC, get a business checking account, set up a Stripe account so you can collect a credit card payment like any other real reputable business in the world. So if you've got that, a mission statement, an offer with a clear price, and you're ready to accept payments, then you can start getting on sales calls. It's awesome. I love it, man. So good. Simplifying, cutting through the noise, cutting through all the BS marketing out there of like, you need a webinar, you need a funnel, you need a book, you need a podcast, you need this, you need that. Mission statement, set yourself up with a nice offer structure that's clear. Can you collect a payment instead of, hey, can you Venmo me uh, <laughs> this month's payment or something like that? If you have those three things set up, you're good to go, right? Well, so, and one uh, more thing, Andrew, that I think is important off of that is the easiest way to make a sale is to make a big list of all the people you know who fit that target market you created in your mission statement that you could potentially have a call with. And secondarily, make a list of all the people you know who might know people in your market and could be a referral partner. I know people will do almost anything they can to avoid sending a real message to a real human and getting on a real sales call. But that is the thing that's going to create real revenue, real profitability, real business, testimonials, success, confidence, all of that. And so we just need to let go of some of the bigger scale ideas in many cases, I believe, and start simply by asking people to have a conversation and getting on a call and asking great questions, serving, coaching, and inviting. And then eventually, over time, we can implement some of those long game strategies that I know Andrew and Mike can help with, among others. Justin, yeah, Justin, that's great. I mean, a lot of our audience knows this already, but when I got to the hospital September 10th, 2021, with our son, I was like, what the hell am I going to do? And I took like 30 days and figuring out, and I was like, all right, I'm going to start a coaching business and get paid to coach, which was new for me. It's exactly what I did. Seven calls a day, no matter what. Seven calls a day. I made a list of about 100 15 people. I said, unattached, I'm just going to call them. If they don't answer, they don't answer. If they answer, they answer. But seven calls a day just to catch up. And from there, we'll see what happens. And I let things kind of reveal itself. And that decision from October until January, February, March, however long I kept it going, turned into a six-figure coaching business until Andrew and I have created the full-time partnership here at Better Than Rich, which is pretty exciting and we're doing great things. But to your point, that consistency and simplicity is just so important execution of that simplicity. I wanted to go in a different direction because number one for time and number two, because of my curiosity. I'm very curious. You have your brand as far as faith to influence, Christian men turned into Christian coaches. I wanted to ask this question because raised Jewish, we've had conversations around this on the podcast in the past about religion and how faith comes into the equation. I'm curious for you, what role does God play for you like, and for your business? And how did you bring that to the forefront? And how do you continue to bring that to the forefront for you? Sometimes the foundation of people's spirituality or their faith or their religion gets rocked with circumstances. And then our environment sometimes influence certain things 
where you figured it out and you're staying there no matter what. I just want you to riff on that. I want to hear from you on how you're anchored to God, to your faith and what role that plays for you. Yeah, man, it's so important to me. And there's a couple of things that come to mind immediately. One is surrender and the second is prayer. What I found is that I've had to surrender to God over and over and over and over and over again in this business. I remember starting the business and being rocked with fear over my first three months and anxiety. I also had a lot of excitement, a lot of passion. I was looking forward to what I was doing, but I had nights where I was tossing and turning. I could hardly sleep because I cared so much And like for me, I quit my job to start this business and we had just had our first baby and my wife had just quit her job because I had an income that could provide for us. So this was a must. It wasn't something that would be nice to do or be really fun to have this coaching business as a side hustle. This was my full-time job and I needed to provide income for my family. So I had a lot of urgency and that created a little bit of fear and anxiety. And of course, over those first few months, if you're like me, As a new entrepreneur, I had some doubt. I was not sure all the time. I remember we initially sold a live retreat and I sold eight people to that live retreat. Eight men were going to come to that first event three months into the business. And they'd all paid over $1,000 to be there. And I was in the event space the day before the event. It was an Airbnb. And in the room, there were these blue chairs. And I was sitting in one of the blue chairs. I was looking across the room to the couches and the other chairs. And I was kind of imagining the other men sitting in those chairs the next day. I was like almost visualizing being in the event, me up front leading, but I didn't see them excited. I didn't see it going well. In fact, I saw disappointment on their faces and I imagined them being in the middle of the day thinking, what am I spending my money on? And this was a bad idea. I felt all of that in that moment and I felt like maybe I was wrong and maybe I made a bad decision and maybe I couldn't do this. And I felt so weak and I cried in that chair thinking that I was just so overwhelmed and maybe I can't do this. If I had to surrender and say, well, maybe I can't do this, but God can do anything. I'm just going to surrender to God. I'm going to trust God. He called me to this. I felt a calling to this business. I said yes and God's going to carry me. I decided to stop prepping, go home, watched a movie with my wife, ate dinner, went to sleep, prayed, woke up the next day. And after really surrendering to God and just saying, God, this is yours. He threw a blanket of confidence over me. I woke up the next day. It was like, I knew I could do it. I felt so different. And by the end of that weekend, we were three months into our business. We'd held one retreat with eight people. I'd made a few other little sales. We had $100,000 in booked revenue. It was far beyond what I could have imagined. Every one of those eight men cried at some point during the weekend. And it was such a powerful experience. I needed to let go. I needed to surrender to God. I needed to let go of my ego for him to just be able to deliver through me. I need to get out of my own way. And I've had to do that so many times. And I also really specifically and directly pray for God to support my business. I pray for sales. I pray for revenue. I pray for income. Like, God, help me to make more sales. Help me to grow the income and the profitability of faith to influence. And God, as you bless me with more and more, I pray that you help me become more of a blessing to my clients, more of a blessing to my community, to my church, and to the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Help me to give as you give to me. Amen. I pray that all the time. And like in the seasons that I surrender more and I pray more, God just starts delivering sales and deals to me. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of deals since I started Faith to Influence that don't make sense, that I didn't pursue, that God just showed up for and gave to me. And a final piece on this is I recognize that I don't have all the answers, but the God of the universe does. And so when I'm with a client, I can pause and say, I don't know, but let's ask the one who does now and let's pray about this. And that just creates a lot of opportunity that wouldn't exist on my own. Dude, I love this. Where does the devil come into play in that? Because I've heard from friends that any of those doubt, that's the devil. And I read the conversations with the devil or outwitting the devil, Napoleon Hill. And where does that come into play? Because again, there's all the stuff that's new to me. And I figured you're the guy and you're in front of me talking about (laughs) if you're surrendering to God and then if the doubt's creeping in, is that the devil's voice or whose voice is that? What do you believe on that? I'm genuinely curious. It's a good question. It certainly is hard to distinguish when God told someone to do something versus they told themselves and then justified saying, God told me to do this. Same thing with like what you're talking about with the devil. I'm not an expert Christian or a pastor or anything like that. I do feel God's presence. And I've had a couple of moments in my life where I felt like he directly told me something, but I didn't hear it in words. I felt it. And as far as the devil's concerned, I don't know, but I do believe in spiritual warfare. And what I know is every time I'm about to do something great, I feel like there are forces beyond my control that try to stop me, try to attack me, try to give me doubt, concern, fear, little moments of things going wrong that don't make a whole lot of sense. 
you can apply that to whatever you want. But I do feel like there's a truth of spiritual warfare and or this gravitational pull to be who we've always been and these anchors to be where we've been before. So every time we're going to take a big giant leap forward, you know, there's something about the world or the devil or whatever that's going to try to hold us as we've been. And I know that God wants us to grow into who we're created to be. And so I think we need to be extra vigilant when we're going to do something great and be prepared for attacks and challenges and things not to go right and be willing to persevere and move forward with courage even when it's hard. Thanks. Well, I, lo- I love that answer. Thanks for being so real and vulnerable and authentic with us, which is something I've always loved about you, man. And again, listener, if you're like, I'm not a Christian, I don't know how to apply that. What Justin just said is so good because it could just be your old self, your old identity. Sometimes these lines are blurred, at least for me. You know, it's sometimes hard to distinguish between my intuition and the Holy Spirit, right? Or my saboteur inside my head or the devil. It is difficult. And that's the point. I like what Jordan Peterson is talking about, like he who wrestles with God. He's got a new book coming out. I'm excited to read it because that's how I feel sometimes, right? I don't always have 100% confidence either way, but I've been reading some C.S. Lewis and it's been interesting. And it's like, okay, like, what do we, how do I, how do I contextualize this? We always ask three questions of our guests, Justin. These are kind of rapid fire questions, but the first one is, what do you think the world needs most right now? There's two things I think the world needs most. One is just love. If we just all love our neighbors a little bit better, a lot of problems go away. And the other thing is I think great leadership in homes. I think we need better parenting. I think there's so many moms in the world doing a great job and not call it all the dads because there's plenty of great dads out there too. But I think there are too many homes that don't have a present father or a father who's really providing leadership. And I think if every father in the world just simply showed up and led their own family better, a lot of the problems in the world would go away as well. Awesome. Listeners, take a listen to Mike McCarthy's episode about living in a fatherless world. I think it was really fantastic and it's relevant. So thank you for that, Justin. Our second question is, what are one to three books that you think people should read? I absolutely love, gosh, I might give like five here, but I'm going to say Mere Christianity came up because Andrew was just talking about C.S. Lewis. If you're curious about Christianity, it's written in very old style language. That's the book. Yeah, I just finished. So yeah, it was was really good and it was super helpful to contextualize things. It's also... Very accessible for anybody who doesn't have the Christian scaffolding. There's not like a ton of lingo. He just breaks it down. So I thought it was really good. Yeah. And the other books I feel like have changed my life include Think and Grow Rich, Man's Search for Meaning, You and Me Forever, Marriage and Light of Eternity by Francis Chan really changed my life. And then recently, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Awesome. Thank you so much. Our final question is, what does it mean to you to be better than rich? Man, what's popped in my head right now as you asked me, I just had a total visual. It's a wonderful life. One of the greatest Christmas movies, greatest movies of all time, Jimmy Stewart. You can watch it in black and white. At the end of the movie, this man who's been through so much hardship and so much ups and downs and challenges and financial stress and strain that had him questioning his whole entire life. And in the end of the movie, he's just surrounded by his neighbors, by his family, by the people he loves. And they're singing and laughing and hugging and smiling. And that's what's better than rich. It's great relationships. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. Uh, For me, I'm not an ultimate hustler. I don't have a great hustle muscle. Like I want to enjoy my life and I want to enjoy the people I'm with. And I think business can support that instead of be all of that. I think if we lean in with our relationships and our neighbors and love people well and receive people's love really well, that's better than rich. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that, man. I'm going to give you another chance to plug that four-day challenge and your podcast and all those things. But I have one more quick question. By the time this airs, your guy, Aaron Rodgers, is probably going to have a decision made. What's your take, man? You're a huge Packers fan. I'm a Bears fan, which you know has been brutal. But uh, <laughs> build me in, man. What is your take on this whole thing? Aaron Rodgers is going to the Jets. The Packers are going to get okay. Elijah Moore, a first-round pick, and a third round pick. And Aaron Rodgers is going to make the playoffs, not winning Super Bowls with the Jets, but make the playoffs, make the fan base excited for a couple of years before retiring. The Packers, I think, are going to make the playoffs with Jordan Love and going to have three straight Hall of Fame quarterbacks from Favre to Rodgers to Love. All right. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, on the Better Than Rich Show, breaking sports news here with Justin Janowski. That's what you come here for, right? Is breaking sports news. You got it, right? So I love it, man. That was a hot take, a spicy take, and I like it. So see us out, man. Where can people learn more? This has been such an incredible episode. I'm sure people are going to want to check out what you're up to. 
Yeah. If, if you're interested in listening to our podcast, it's Sales Strategies for Christian Coaches. I've got a sales training group on Facebook that's Sales Training for Christian Coaches. Pretty on brand here. And the reminder is if you want to sign up for our challenges, which happen live, but are also recorded if you can't make it, and also get you on our email list to receive the podcast and other things in the mail, the easiest way to connect with us is by going to salesisgood.com and signing up for a free four-day challenge. Awesome, man. That just reminds me of church where it's like, God is good all the time. All the time, <laughs> God is good. Now it's sales is good too, right? So that's awesome. Hey, man, this was super fun and I really enjoyed it. All those links will be in the show notes, listener, if you want to snag those. If you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have, make sure that you spread the word. It's your turn to turn other people onto the Better Than Rich show, what we're up to here. Share with a friend, leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next week, remember to leave today better than you found it. We'll see you then. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at the better than rich show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it. If you found value in this podcast episode and want to go a little bit deeper with myself and Andrew Biggs and our community, I recommend checking out one of these three resources. Number one is join our community. We have the Automate Delegate Systemize Facebook group with over a thousand entrepreneurs and self-employed individuals who just want to win back their time, who want to increase their profits, want to expand their businesses and really spend their time on what matters most to them. So join that group. It's on Facebook. It's called Automate Delegate Systemize. It is a private group, but we would love to have you join. Number two is we have a free one-hour masterclass. And this free one-hour masterclass that is titled Win Back 13 to 37 Hours of Your Week Every Single Week. By you taking an hour of your time and listening and watching and workshopping with this masterclass, you will learn our three epiphanies to help you understand how to work on the business, not in the business, know that you can delegate and automate almost anything in your business, and you could also build a system in your business, even if you're not tech savvy at all. So I highly recommend you to go to automatedelegatesystemize.com and enjoy that free one hour masterclass. If you really wanna go deep with Andrew, myself, and other business owners, we have a program called Operator to Owner. And Operator to Owner is our premier program that's 12 weeks long that will show you exactly how to use what we call the ADS framework, going through the prospect journey, the client journey, how to onboard properly, build your staff, build the pillars of your organization, audit your time with a dollar per hour exercise, offload and delegate your under dollar per hour wage that you want to pay yourself, how to offload those tasks and really how to buy back your time. Our promise is that by the end, you will learn how to leverage a virtual assisted team, whether you want to use our better than rich virtual assistants. We have those services. You could go to va.betterthanrich.com or you can learn how to use your own virtual assistant team and hire offshore workers. But we are here to help you win back time gain your freedom, and try to stay true to what it means to be an entrepreneur and why you became an entrepreneur in the first place. So take advantage of those three resources. We have the Facebook group that's free. We have the masterclass that's free. And then of course, we have operator to owner and our virtual assistant services that are behind the paywall. And be on the lookout for our next mini course, Win Back Your Freedom and Increase Your Profits, which we've done a couple of times already. And maybe there's one coming up in the near future. Thank you.